0: There is a saying, really it is a question that goes, when do we get to the good part? When do we get uh, to the good part? It seems that that, I believe, is very telling of our human nature. I think sometimes uh, we feel like we're just enduring, and I think if you were to talk to a lot of folks, they would say, maybe we're just getting by in our life, maybe we're just grinding through uh, the days of our life, and we are hopeful that coming soon is the good part, and so along the way, we'll ask the question: When do we get to the good part? In our study of the Revelation, I can tell you it has been an awesome study. It has been uh, great. Honestly, I will tell you, I've been uh, surprised each and every week uh, that it is better than I thought that it would be. I had high expectations for it, uh, but I'll tell you, I believe it's been better than I thought uh, it would be. God has been speaking. Uh, when he said those who read these words will be blessed, uh, that is the truth. I have been blessed. And I believe we have been blessed uh, as a church in this study. And now uh, we are in the last four chapters of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, as marvelous as it has been, we, oh man, listen to me, we are to the good part. And so today we're going to continue and we're going to move along in the good part. Today our message is, is entitled, The Wedding of the Ages. The Wedding of the Ages. Today, we're in Revelation chapter 19, verses seven through 10. The Wedding of the Ages, Revelation chapter 19, verses seven through 10. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in the seventh verse, and it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly, Father, we come today, we are thankful that today we have a risen lamb, that today we have a king in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that as sorry sinners that we have a savior, the forgiveness of our sin and the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to come and to assemble as your people today. Lord, I pray that you are pleased in our gathering today. I pray that you are known in our gathering today. I pray that your name is high and lifted up. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, as we begin to look at these verses, I pray, Lord, that on this day, that we wouldn't count it as an off day, we wouldn't count it as an unlikely day, but on this day, that you would speak to us. And I pray that it would be supernatural, and I pray that the living God would speak through his living word. And I pray that we would be impacted as a people. I pray that we would be encouraged today, that we would be built up as the church today. I, I pray for some that will hear this message that do not know you. I pray in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that today, may be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you all these things. We ask that you take our effort and bless it and multiply it and use it for your, for your kingdom's sake. We tell you we love you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What will be the best thing about heaven? What will be the best part Of heaven. Now, when I ask that, when I say that, my mind starts to run wild. Uh, Heaven is going to be awesome. We know that. The Bible says uh, it is more than we can imagine, more than we can conceive. And heaven is going to be absolutely unimaginable. Now, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be marvelous. And it seems crazy to try and narrow it down what will be the best part of heaven. Now, when I think about that, I believe high on everyone's list is that we will see people we miss, those who have died in Jesus Christ, those who have passed on. Uh, we are going to see them, and I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine mothers and parents who will hold their children that they have lost, and can you imagine the the joy of that? And I and I can't imagine as spouses. Husbands and wives, as they see uh, their loved one again, can you imagine the joy of that reunion? And there'll be kids there, and uh, and they'll see their parents again, and they'll see their grandparents again, and I can't even imagine that. I'll tell you, uh, I can't wait to see my dad again. Eight years uh, has been too long. And I think about all the reunions that are going to go on, and I think that is high on everyone's list. Also, I think the perfection of heaven, that's also got to be high on everyone's list. There's going to be no more sin and no more shame of sin, no more guilt of sin, no more battle against sin, and there's going to be no more consequence of sin. And because of that, uh, sin has been rectified, sin has been paid for, sin has been removed. Because of that, everything's going to be absolutely perfect. Free from sin, everything in heaven is going to be absolutely perfect. These bodies are going to be perfect. Now, they're not going to get sick. They're not going to wear out. They're not going to move on in pain. Our bodies are going to be perfect. Heaven, heaven's doctor's office, I thought about that. The waiting room is going to be absolutely empty. In heaven's perfection, there's going to be no more crime. There'll be no need for a police officer. There'll be no need for an attorney There's not going to be anything to decide, anything to argue. Heaven's courtroom will also be silent and empty. And I start to think about all the things that that's going to look like. Oh, the perfection of heaven, that is something to look forward to. What will be the best part of heaven? Now, that's fun to think about. I could go on and on for a little while. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be marvelous, spectacular, truly awesome. We can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. But friend, all of those things, they won't be the best part of heaven. Now listen, they're going to be great. I'm looking forward to those things. They're going to be awesome, but they're not going to be the best part of heaven. The Bible tells us, listen very carefully, hear this. The Bible tells us the best part of heaven, the reward of heaven, the joy of heaven, the victory of heaven is that we will be with Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. You know the victory of heaven? There's going to be awesome things all around us. It's going to be that we are going to be finally and fully with our Savior Jesus. Today we're going to see that in our verses. In chapter 19 so far, We have heard of great worship that is going on in heaven. As we moved into the 19th chapter, uh, last week we looked at the four shouts of hallelujah. And what an awesome picture that was. The word hallelujah, uh, it is a Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. And so we find four times in heaven there are shouts of hallelujah, praise the Lord. As Babylon the great has fallen and as God has and is pouring out His righteous judgment, heaven is filled with shouts, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. Well, today in our verses, it is a continuation of that scene. Now, really, last week, breaking last week between this week uh, was a hard process to do. Really, it is a continuation of the same scene. It is a continuation of the same event. So, let's go uh, to our verses today. There is worship welling up in heaven. And that's going to continue today and we go to our verses today. At the end of verse 6, the great multitude in heaven, remember I told you it was the angelic host of heaven, the great multitude of heaven, they are shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. That is what is echoing in heaven. It says, uh, like the sounds of many rushing waters, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. All right, so now we start in verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Let me read that verse again. Verse six ends by saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In verse 7, the angelic multitude, the angelic host calls out for three very specific responses. Now, let me explain those to you. The first response is let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. The Greek word means to delight or to praise. And so the very first call, the very first response called for is a call to rejoice, to praise. All right. The second rejoice is and be glad. And be glad. Now let me just go ahead and explain this to you. Friends, we have Uh, Far too little of an appreciation of the word that is used here. Uh, When we think of glad, we think, well, a person is somewhat happy. Or a person, they, they are glad. Gas is cheaper today, and I am glad. Or Brahms has malts, chocolate malts, and I am glad. Well, I want to tell you today, it's actually much bigger than that. In fact, I'll just tell you, it is way bigger than that. Uh, The word here for to be glad, uh, it it translates to be full of joy. Now, listen to that. To be full of joy. It, It means to be full of rejoicing. To be full of rejoicing. Listen to this. The most literal translation means leaps much. That's what it translates leaps much. That is the response. It is to be filled. Uh, with joy. It is to be filled to the top with rejoicing and so much so that you jump around, so much so that you leap around and you kick up your heels. Friends, I want to say this. I have become convinced and, I, and I've been watching and I've been looking and I've been reading, especially uh, in our study of the book of Revelation. I have become convinced that is to be the disposition of believers, and I think that ought to be be our attitude, that ought to be our heart. When you find a person that has trusted Jesus Christ and in their faith they've received the forgiveness of their sin, they've received eternal life, I want to tell you today, friend, the disposition of a believer ought to be much joy. Let me tell you something. Today we are messing up when we get our eyes so much on the things of the world that we become so downtrodden. And I don't, I don't know about you, I don't watch the news much anymore, but you can watch the news today and all look at our government and oh, look at the perverse things happening in our culture. And you can watch the things in the world today, you become so discouraged. And you can, you can well on those things so much, and you can think about the things going on in your life, and you can become, oh, so depressed. And in that, you can become so defeated. And you walk through life, and you're whining around, that's not ever going to work, that's not ever going to pay off, and you're limping along through life. Hear me today, listen to me today. In Jesus Christ, are you listening? We are loved, we are forgiven, we are saved, we are restored, we are renewed, we are redeemed, we have life that will not end, and all of that is safe and secure and settled in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, dadgum, of all the people, we ought to be filled with joy. Listen to me, it's okay to leap around even We ought to be filled with joy. Second response is be glad, be filled with joy. Third response is this, and give the glory to him. And give the glory to him. Him is the Lord our God, the Almighty, from verse six. So give the glory to him. The word for glory here, it translates a high opinion of, or renown, or splendor. Another translation, honor. And so the third response that is called for here is to give honor to God, to ascribe splendor to God. Now those are the responses that are called for. Then verse seven tells us why we should have those responses. Why should we should be joyful? Why should we should be overfilled to the point of even leaping around? Why we should be honoring God? Uh, verse 7 gives us the reasons why. It says this, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now go with me here. I want you to understand this. The marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb is the symbolic picture depicting the climactic event of the end events. Let me say that again. That's a lot of things to take in. The the marriage of the Lamb, it is the symbolic picture depicting the climactic event of all of these end events. That's what this picture is. God uses the analogy of, or he uses the picture of a wedding to represent the climactic end of the end. And so listen, all of this celebration, all of these responses, leaping in joy, honoring God, is because of this event. This wedding of the lamb is the celebrated event. This wedding of the lamb, it is the capstone event. And so all of this rejoicing is for that event. Now let's look at the picture. That is the picture he chooses. So let's look at the picture. First, what is a wedding? What is a marriage? It is a union. It is a joining. That's what a marriage is. Uh, Two become one. There are two, and they become united. They become joined. That's what a marriage is. And so the climax of all of these events, the big event is a union where two are united. Also, what is a wedding? A wedding, a marriage is a provision. Uh, In a wedding, in a marriage, a bride is afforded or is given a husband. She didn't have a husband beforehand. After that event, she has a husband. In a wedding, in a marriage, a bridegroom is afforded or is given a wife. He did not have a wife before that event. After that event, he has a wife. Where the one did not have the other, now in this event, there is the addition of the other. Now, there's also another picture we ought to get of a wedding. A wedding, a marriage, it was to be, and it is permanent. It is permanent. And so understand this provision that results in a union, it is without end. It's not going to be broken. There's not going to be something that comes along and messes it up. There's not going to be some regret that would cause somebody to undo it. It will not be broken. It will not be undone. And that is the picture that God uses. Now, going on, looking at the picture, it says the wedding of the lamb. The Bible says the wedding of the lamb has come. There's this response. The reason for the response is because the marriage of the lamb has come. And so understand this, one of the parties identified in the wedding, one of the parties identified in the union, it is the lamb. Now, we know today, we've had this study, we've been passing through it. We know that today the lamb is the perfect lamb of God. We know he is the payment for sin He is the sacrifice made for sinners. That is why he bears the name the Lamb. We know that that Lamb is slain, that has been slain, paying for sin, and he yet lives again. And so we know today he is the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice for sin, the payment for sinners. We also know he is the risen Lamb of God. Now listen very carefully. We know this, and that Lamb is Jesus. That lamb is Jesus. And so understand this marriage, this wedding, is that of Jesus. It is the marriage of Jesus. The rest of verse 7 says, and his bride has made herself ready. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. In the New Testament, it is clear the bride of Christ is referring to the church. All right, so now we have identified the other party. There is the bride. Well, in the New Testament, it is very plain The bride of Christ is referring to the church. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, receiving Him in faith, receiving salvation by faith in Christ, they are the church. Well, the bride of Christ, it is the church. In the New Testament, the bride is the church. And so here's what we need to see in this picture. The reason for all of this celebration, the reason for all of this worship is the union between Jesus and the church has now come. That's what it says here. The reason we're to worship God, the reason we're to leap around in joy is because the union of Jesus the Lamb and the church, the redeemed of Christ, has now come. They will be united together forever and without end. Now I want to look at one last thing here just to kind of iron it out. The Bible says here, The bride wears fine linen, bright and clean. The bride is is ready for the wedding day. The bride wears fine linen, bright and clean. Now understand this represents purity, righteousness, and holiness. It is why brides wear white gowns today in our wedding ceremonies. Uh, That is the symbol of that. And so she is clothed in these gowns, and they represent righteousness, holiness, purity. Now I want you to notice in verse 7 it says, she has made herself ready. Now what does that mean? I want to think about that. She has made herself ready. Now what does that mean? Also see this, following in verse 8 it says, it was given to her to wear fine linen. Now there seems to be a, a conflict here, something that's going to be hard to understand. In verse 7, it says, she has made herself ready. In verse 8, it says, it was given her to wear fine linen. And then it says, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, what does this mean? Do we work to make ourselves saved? Do we work to make ourselves savable? Uh, Do we work to make ourselves presentable to Jesus Christ. Now I want you to hear this, listen very carefully. The answer to that is no. No. The Bible says when we are saved, it's of no work that we would do. The Bible tells us that. When we are saved, we are given Christ's righteousness to wear. The book of Ephesians explains that to us. When we are saved, we put our trust in Jesus, though we are sinners, though we have no righteousness, we put on the righteousness of Jesus and we wear it as a robe. He gives it to us. And so understand, just like the picture here, it was given to her to wear. But understand this as well. But once we have it on, our response then is to live in it to live in righteousness, to walk in holiness. People say Does it doesn't matter how we live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't God going to forgive us after all? Isn't that what we, what we cling to? Listen, our response to wearing the righteousness of Jesus is to seek to obey Christ, to walk in obedience to Christ, and to walk in his holiness. That is the picture here. Christ and his work of Calvary, he redeems his bride. He makes her ready. He clothes her in his own righteousness. But then once she is wearing his righteousness, she walks in it. And she walks desiring to, to honor him by wearing the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is a picture of the Christian life. Are we saved of any work that we would do? No, it's all of Jesus. Is there something we can do to impress God? No, we're all sinners and we fall short. But our response to the salvation that we have in Jesus is to desire to honor him by walking in obedience. That's what this picture is here. That is the Christian life. Okay, so get this. Understand what the verses have brought us to. The joy of heaven then is Christ with his redeemed. Do you see that? The celebration of heaven, the being filled with with celebration to the point that you would leap around. The joy of heaven is Christ with his redeemed. The glory of heaven is Jesus the lamb with those he has saved. And I want to tell you, it answers the question here. The best part of heaven is us with Jesus. That's the best part of heaven. That's the reason for the joyful celebration. That is why God will be honored. The best part of heaven is us redeemed in the work of Jesus with Jesus. All right, moving to verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. All right, verse 9 goes back to a different speaker. Verse 9 goes back to the speaker of chapter 17. It's one of the seven angels there in chapter 17. And so now this angel again is speaking, and he says, "Right." Now, when I read that, I like to think about that for a second. Here is, here is the Apostle John. He is seeing all of this. Here, this speaker shows back up, and he says, right. I like to think about that because of this. This morning, we are reading what John wrote. And so this angel shows up and says, right. These are the words that he wrote. This is the, the fruit of that event. This is it. These are those words. Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now see this, the praise is because the time for the marriage has come. That's how the lead off verse, verse 7, tells us about it. The praise is because the marriage uh, has come. But notice this, this is now the marriage supper of the Lamb. At first in verse 7, it's talking about the marriage, the wedding of the Lamb. This is now talking about the marriage supper Of the Lamb. Now understand this. In a Jewish wedding, marriage was actually a long process. Uh, It wasn't a one hour event where we spend too much money like we do it now. It was this long process. And as part of that process, after the presentation of the bride to the groom and after their union, there was a celebration feast. And so after they have come together as husband and wife, after the union, there was a celebration feast. And the celebration feast was a big deal. And so the last piece, we've been through this process, we've walked through the days of this process. The last part of the process was this big feast. Now that feast could go on for hours. Uh, They would start at six in the evening. It could go up into the late hours of the night. It could go on for several days. Uh, I read where some of them went as long as seven days, a feast that did not end for seven days. It was the capstone of the event. Its duration depended on the wealth and the clout of the families. And so if you could afford a three-hour banquet, you'd have a three-hour banquet. But if you could pull out all the stops and have a seven-day banquet, you'd have a seven-day banquet. It's duration dependent on the wealth and the clout of the families. Let me just tell you this. I believe the celebration we're reading here doesn't have an end. You want to talk about the wealth and the clout of the families? I believe the celebration here goes on for all eternity. well, Verse 9 says, blessed are those invited to the marriage supper, marriage feast of the Lamb's wedding. That's what it says. The Lamb's wedding is coming to a conclusion. They are joined as husband and wife. Blessed are those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb's wedding. The word therefore invited means summonsed or called for. And So understand it means this, blessed are those who are called to come, who are summons to come, who are invited to the feast. Now, who are those who are invited? Let me just, let me just say this. It's not clear who those are who, inv- who are invited. Now, there are some that say that it's talking about the church. And so they would say the bride is the church, and they would say the invited guest, it's also the church. There are some that say that. Now, there are some that say it's the Old Testament saints, And so now there is the union of the Old Testament saints with those redeemed in the church age. And so they would say the invited guests are the Old Testament saints. There are some others and they say these guests are those that were saved in the millennial period. There's a thousand year period. Folks will be saved in that period. And if they have not died, uh, they will now join in as the invited guests. I'm not sure, but I will tell you this. Whoever they are, They are Christ's people and they are saved And the only way there ever was and ever will be to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And so now they are invited to the feast of the marriage of the lamb. They join in the celebration. The narrator here, the speaker then says, these are true words of God. Here's what that means. You can count on this. You can take it to the bank. You can count on this. He says, these are true words of God. These are trustworthy words. I want to tell you, I preach quite a few funerals. funerals. And you get to a funeral, and, and people say, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe that. But I want to tell you, when you stand at a casket, when you stand at a grave, it starts to become serious about what you honestly believe. And how do we know there's a heaven? And how do we know this is real? And how do we know they haven't just perished and gone away? And they start to wonder. And, and people start to say, you know what, I, I don't know, maybe we're released into some other thing, or maybe this, or, and there's all these ideas that are hatched. Here's what John says. The word of God is this. This is the word of God. You can take it to the bank. You can trust these words. Here's what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me. That is your promise. That is your future. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we can expect to end in unity with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that unity will never be broken. You can count on that promise. Verse 10. And then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We get to verse 10, and and, and it happens before, but John is overwhelmed with all of this. He sees all of these sights. He hears all of these sounds. He hears all of this, the worship of the multitude, and it's too much, and so he falls down and he starts to worship this angel. Here's what the angel says. The angel says it's very plain, do not do that. I looked it up and tried to get the original translation. Here's what it says. Do not do that. The angel says, "Hey, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren." And then right here he gives a description of a believer who hold the testimony of Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. What is a Christian? What is a believer? There's folks that say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, my my grandmother was. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I, 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 I believe these things. Or hey, I went to church as a little kid. What is a believer? Listen very carefully. A believer is one who holds to the truth of Jesus. That's what it's saying here. That embraces the truth of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah of God. He is sinless. He never sinned, not one sin. He is the Lamb that goes to the cross to pay for our sin. He is our Savior, risen, resurrected from the dead. He is the Lamb who was slain and yet lives again. And it's the truth of Jesus. When you embrace the truth of Jesus, when you trust in the truth of Jesus, that's what it means to be a believer. I trust in Jesus. The angel says, I'm a servant of Christ, like y'all who hold to the truth And then he says this, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. To end the section today, this angel makes a very profound declaration. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now that's kind of weird to understand. Let me help you. To understand it, I flipped it around. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the spirit of prophecy is to testify to Jesus. So the spirit of prophecy is to testify to Jesus. Now what that means is this. What does one do who speaks for God? Here's what they do. They point to Jesus. You want to know what a prophet does? A prophet points to Jesus. You can start all the way back in the Old Testament, and as they're speaking for God, they are speaking of, they are pointing to our Savior, Jesus. Prophets point to Jesus. All right, we're going to end right there today. I wouldn't miss next week for anything. I'll be back for next week. I wouldn't miss it. Next, next 52 weeks would be good. Friends, I'm going to be serious with you. Are you rejoicing today? I want you to think about your last day, maybe your last week. Are you rejoicing today? Are you glad? Are you filled to the brim with joy? Are you rejoicing today? Do you know this is your future and it's settled in Christ? And listen, there may be setbacks in your finances and there may be setbacks in your relationships and there may be uh, sicknesses that you don't want to hear about, but are you able to say, listen to me, I have victory in Jesus and it's settled and it's finished in the person of Jesus and I know what my future holds and so I'm filled with joy. Let me ask you the question, are you rejoicing today? What would your friends say? what would those closest to you say? Are you rejoicing today? Are you rejoicing today? Do you know this is your future? If you do not know this is your future, let me just make it easy for you. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. You know, right now, nothing left for you to do. Not a bunch of verses to memorize. Not a church to impress. Listen, if if you're here today, you say, I don't know what's going to happen to me. If I were to pass away, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't, know, I don't know my eternal lot. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you right now. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll save you right now. If you don't know this is your, your future, your destiny, finish in Christ, listen to me. Turn to Jesus, he'll save you right now. He'll save you right now. And if you do know that, then be glad. If you do know that, listen to me, praise God, praise God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for this picture of a victory secure in Jesus, of honor being given to God, the God that saves us in the person of Christ. Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray in the hearing of the gospel, that they would turn to you, that they would trust you today, that they would be saved this very day. And I pray for those of us who have trusted you. I pray, Lord, that we would remember what we have, that we would remember who we hold, that we would remember the joy, the peace that's before us, and that we would rejoice walking out of here today, Lord, as a testimony to a lost and dying and hurting world. Lord, we come and just tell you we're thankful, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, I've said this a million times, but it truly is the most important thing that we'll do today, a chance to respond to the preached gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you turn to him today, he'll save you. He is your hope. He is your peace. He is your savior. If you'll trust him today, he'll he'll save you. If you've never done that, in just a moment you come, let's settle that today. If you'd say, I'm not sure about that, don't leave here. Without it settled, you come, let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you believe God has brought you here. You've prayed about it and you believe he's brought you here. You come as well. And together we'll uphold his truth. We'll preach his gospel until he comes again. Maybe you're here and you've trusted in Christ, but you've never fallen believer's baptism as a testimony to what we believe of Christ. And you say, yes, I'm saved. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was further back. But hey, I want to testify to what I believe of Christ. In obedience to Christ through baptism, you come as well. We'll set a date. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you want to come. We're starting a new year. Maybe you want to come and pray here at the altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. I'm going to ask those that are here with us that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit, but you would pray for those who are making decisions. And as we stand to sing, if God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.